Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about some headlines, and then we're joined by friend of the show, Dr. Ed Stetzer. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. It is the end of the week. We made it, barely, limping and gasping for air, but we are here at The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We didn't really do this yesterday, but I have a couple headlines in here, and uh, they don't have to do with what happened on January the 6th at the Capitol building, but we will be talking about that a good deal later in the show. So just just so that you're aware, uh, I'm sure people are like, why are they not talking about this? We're going we're gonna to talk more about it. Don't worry. But I'm going to let Brian decide uh, which article he would like to tackle first. Not only are we going to talk about it, but Ed Stetzer is coming on here soon right. to talk about it. So you're going to want to be here for that. This is an interesting one out of Christian Headlines, and uh, it's good news. Uh, number of abortion clinics in the U.S. has declined by 35 percent since 2009, 2009 pro-life group fines. And so that pretty much gets the headlines to it. But between 2009 and 2020, the number of facilities has decreased from 713 uh, to 458. It says, conversely, the report found an increase in the use of abortion-inducing drugs in the U.S. The distribution of the drugs went from 131 facilities to 248. So a little bit of a mixed bag. But anytime you see an article saying, hey, there's less uh, surgical abortions going on, there's less abortion centers going on, uh, we cheer that on. That is a good thing. Now, again, the abor- abortion-inducing drugs are a big deal uh, that that are certainly need to be dealt with. But again, good news about a decline in the surgical abortion clinics in the United States. Well, one of the comments we got on the Facebook page was, uh, really, why is this good news? Less access for health care for women is excellent news. So uh, this person is unhappy with these new- this news. Do you, do you have any uh, perspective there? Uh, a little bit, I would say a decrease in the facilities is an indication of the decreased number of abortions going on. And so that's good news. But I would also say uh, if you believe that abortion, like I do, is is literally um, the killing of a child, th- th- then it that's not good reasoning for me to be like, well, we got to make it more ac- accessible. I know there, there's other things we need to be talking about. So from my end, it's good news. I understand where that person's coming from. Yeah, uh, I do. But uh, no, I think the less abortions, the better for me. And hopefully the church is stepping in here and playing its role because it's, it's not so cut and dry. It's not so black and white as in like, uh, all that. So I, I do understand the sentiment, but I still think this is good news. Yeah. All right. So we uh, we got another headline here that um, for me, I've tried to do with a, f- a fair amount of consistency. Sometimes it's it's harder than others, but to keep a kind of global perspective, first Christians arrested under anti-conversion law in India, Uttar Pradesh's uh, Uttar Pradesh while providing aid to poor. What is going on with this story? Yeah. Korean Christian and three citizens of India have been imprisoned in, uh, how did you say that? The Uttar Pradesh state? Uttar Pradesh, yeah. For- for providing food and other aid to the poor amid escalating persecution in the majority Hindu country accused of fraudulent conversion attempts. The four individuals are the first to be imprisoned under the state's newly enacted anti-conversion laws. And so I would encourage people uh, to read this because at the very least, as you touched on, we could get stuck in our bubbles of just be the Chicagoland or the United States, because this is what we know. This is where we are. Uh, and uh, to understand the persecution and the kind of the, the the situation around the world, I think is really important. It, it informs how to pray 
uh, and also informs our, our understanding of what's going on with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. Yeah, totally agree. All right, what do you want to do next? Let's do Bitcoin, because I, I was just talking about this with someone the other day because I don't understand Bitcoin. So you're going to explain <laughs> it to me, but it says, as Bitcoin smashes through $40,000, data reveals what's behind the huge 2021 Bitcoin price boom. Uh, it says Bitcoin has had a phenomenal start to 2021, topping $40,000 per Bitcoin for the first time ever. The price has added a staggering 400% over the last 12 months, climbing as institutional investors warm to the cryptocurrency and payments giants such as PayPal add their support. So never before seen heights. And I had a great conversation with someone the other day because I said, I don't understand Bitcoin as well at all. And this person tried to explain it and I still didn't understand it. Uh, (laughs) But also uh, a lot of people making a lot of money off of Bitcoin and uh, it, it is, uh, it is another thing. I said this to my buddy. I said, yeah, it's another indication of it takes money to make money. <laughs> so the people who are able to invest in Bitcoin are, are reaping the benefits, but yeah, I don't understand Bitcoin. I don't know if you feel like you do at all, but I do know somebody said it's gone up 112% in the last month. And so some people making a lot of money on Bitcoin. If anybody would like to send some Bitcoin to, uh, the common good, we would appreciate that though. I mean, you could just yeah, you could just Google Bitcoin. Did you know that uh, Fifty Cent actually got paid with a bunch of Bitcoin? This is, I think, this was like ten years ago, and then he, and then he went bankrupt, and he like forgotten about this weird like Bitcoin payment no that he way. got, and, and then he became a millionaire again or something, something like that. I forget the actual numbers. That's not great for radio for me. Just that's like me like loosely recalling a story I overheard from somebody else. But so let me let me loosely recall a story. Uh, there was a tweet yesterday of a guy who in 2009, I believe, paid was paid with Bitcoin for two Papa John's pizzas. And the story goes, they don't know if he still has the Bitcoins. Uh, they're not actual coins, but if he still <laughs> has it. But if he did, that payment for the Papa, two Papa John's pizza would right now be worth $42 million. What? <laughs> yes, because no. it was worth next to nothing at that time. And now it's worth an amazing amount. <laughs> I, st- I still I st- my favorite part of this segment so far is you saying uh, he received two bitcoins. <laughs> He's not actual coin. <laughs> no, no, that's that's the. I mean, I but I don't I don't know how to talk about it much better to be honest. Um, yep. Do we want to touch on the Proud Boys one or no? I don't. It makes me sad. Christian crowdfunding site raises more than a hundred thousand dollars for Proud Boys leader after arrest. So I don't have anything to say about that. I'm I'm kind of done with the Proud Boys. <laughs> Man, I think you've been I'm sure you have something to say about it. No, that's uh, not that safe for radio. Why don't we just why don't we end on this weird story from Vice? This is a weird story. Bride marries wedding guest after her groom runs away. The groom developed cold feet just before the wedding ceremony began. It's a wedding in the southern Indian state of Karnataka took a bizarre turn when the bride married a guest, discovering that the groom had sneaked out. Two brothers were all set to get married in simultaneous ceremonies. However, uh, while Navin participated in the pre-wedding ceremonies to his soon-to-be wife, uh, Sindhu, he developed cold feet on the day. And according to reports, uh, Navin had a girlfriend uh, who threatened to die by suicide at the function if he went ahead with the wedding. This prompted the groom to run away. Uh, to comfort the woman, her family decided to get her married right then to any guest who volunteered. Somebody volunteered, a guy who worked for a local municipal corp- uh, corporation, uh, agreed to marry her, and they were married. That's a really strange story, but uh, yeah, 
don't really even know what to do with it. It's just kind of a strange story. It sounds like your wedding day, though, right? Isn't that the... <laughs> the 20 years of wedded bliss. Has, <laughs> after 20 years of wedded bliss, as I was just the fill-in, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, as always, these and everything else we talk about today is up on our Facebook page and our Twitter account. We honestly would love to know what you think. You can weigh in or you can send us a private message if you like, if that's more your speed. And uh, we welcome really any level of engagement over there. But as Brian did so aptly mention earlier, a friend of the show, Ed Stetz, is going to join us for two segments. We're going to talk about what's happening in the world, both politically and with COVID. You're not going to miss that. That's coming up next year on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You know the rigmarole. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcast. And we have on the show, I think, for the third time, which makes you officially a friend of the show, none other than Dr. Ed Stetzer. Welcome back to the show, sir. Yeah, do you know that the first time I was on, you called me a friend of the show? Exactly. <laughs> we've, been saying it, the show. we've been saying it well before you've ever come on the show at all, to be honest. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Would you, well, for anyone who... Your friend. I'm happy. Oh, likewise, likewise. Would you just take a minute or two or five, if you want, and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. Ed Stetzer, a motivational speaker who lives in a van down by the river. Um, and uh, you know, I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, professor and dean here at Wheaton. And uh, I guess since we're local, also teaching pastor at High Point Church. And, That's right. And friend of the show. Friend of the show. Yeah. Most importantly, at the top of the exactly. bio, friend of the show. Exactly. Well, Ed, again, we're thrilled to have you on. I put on my Wheaton College sweatshirt just for this interview. But uh, hey, just curious, Ed, Wednesday, uh, and we're going to jump into the article that you wrote at Christianity Today we discussed yesterday, but just Wednesday, as you watch just the craziness going on in Washington, D.C., I just want to kind of start by asking you, what was your reaction? What was going on in your head and in your heart as you watched that? What happened Wednesday? Did I miss it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it was, it was really, I mean, surreal is, uh, I mean, how do you describe the desecration of the symbols, the chambers of our democracy to see people um, sitting? And I'm not sure if we saw that initial picture of the guy sitting in the Senate chamber and the house chamber. And, and then subsequently we've seen pictures of people who actually came in armed with like police restraints as if they were going to do something. Yeah. And for me, uh, seeing some of the symbols that people were shout, shouting and more, I, I, I kind of saw this as, I mean, I don't know that anyone, I, I get that it's shocking, but at the same time, this has been something that has been brewing these conspiracy yeah. theories. There's a significant number of people who thought that this was the the storm, the great awakening, people who read Q and Q and on stuff will know what I'm talking about. And so they expected <laughs> exoneration and it turned out to be, there, there are people who are dead. It's a yeah. disaster, and it's a disaster uh, for the country. To, I mean, the world is 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 making fun of us, and right. it's it's a disaster on so many levels, and it's 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 heartbreaking. So you're someone who's, I think, really uniquely dialed into churches and church culture and leaders and pastors. What, what are you sort of hearing from churches and church leaders right now, and sort of the hours and days that followed? Well, a lot of churches are trying to figure out how to say something, and right. um, people are responding in different ways. I was reading Bishop Stuart Ruck's statement uh, where he came up very – he's an Anglican bishop here in the Wheaton area, and his diocese mm-hmm. spreads about. Um, his statement was very, very strong, and, and some are debating, do they mention they're against violence? Do they mention that the uh, president uh, incited some of this? Do they mm-hmm. – do they mention, um, you know, what do they say? And I think that right. that's always a challenge for pastors in churches to say, 
you know, what do you say and what do you not say? Because you right. got to shepherd a congregation that's politically divided as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago about conspiracy theories, and it's something that uh, we've discussed. And quite frankly, a lot of times from articles that you've written, you've yeah. written a lot about conspiracy theories. Uh, there might be people out there going, what's the big deal with a conspiracy theory? Maybe there's some truth to it. Could you help people understand why they're dangerous and the damage that they do specifically to the church and its witness? Well, let's start with the latter and go to the former. First, why they damage yep. the churches is that when we are easily fooled and gullible, when we believe, and there's a whole string of them. It's Pizzagate. It's Seth Rich. It's it's a Wayfair thing that came out just bizarrely <laughs> recently. It's uh, and 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 it actually it projects now into this that there was mad uh, massive voter fraud that would have changed the outcome of the election, which by the way, uh, the Trump administration officials have said did not happen. So what happens though is when you when you convince people that something has happened that is just remarkably unjust and needs their action. And then everyone else is saying, no, that's that's not what happened. Then what happens is they can get into an echo chamber and radicalize. And right. you might even have crazy people breaking into a Capitol building because they <laughs> believe some of these conspiracy theories that a lot of people said were harmless a few months ago. Um, they're not harmless. You know, the Pizzagate conspiracy led to a guy taking a gun into a pizza parlor to rescue right. children that were being trafficked in a basement where there was no basement in this pizza parlor. Mm. Um, and this is the kind of thing that, I mean, as bizarre as those people look like the village people had broken in and taken pictures mm -hmm. as bizarre as all that looked, uh, that stuff that has been going around on the internet and in chat boards and message boards. And right. so, so from a Christian perspective, I think if we're going to be posting just bizarre conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory, and then we post, by the way, Jesus is real and he's changed everything. Right. And I know if the world doesn't believe it. You could trust him. The world doesn't want to listen to people that they perceive as gullible and easily fooled. Gullibility is not a spiritual gift. Jesus said, I am the right. way, the truth and the life. We need to know the truth and be people of the truth. So that's the, the Christian perspective. I think from the other, I think ultimately we're seeing the implication. And this is true on the right and the left. When you convince people that the worst possible thing has happened to them or to their nation, when it hasn't, then the end result is, is they can get radicalized and actually in this case lead to violence. And don't miss this. We, we saw a young woman uh, get shot and die. We've saw other right. probably medical emergencies of some sort. And we've seen a Capitol Hill officer so, um, you know, if, if it matters to us, if law enforcement matters to us, my, my uncle was a New York City cop, my brother, a federal prosecutor. Wow. If it matters to us, this lawlessness yeah. has had huge implications for our country. And people will, you know, people are going to write stories about 2020 and they will. Mm -hmm. But 2021 will go down in history as a moment the Capitol was breached. But I would say it wasn't just the Capitol was breached. A lot of reckoning needs to come in our political situation and among evangelical Christians. Yeah. Well, you make up a, a great point there because, you know, I remember a couple of months ago when John Piper wrote an article where everyone was now calling him a woke liberal. And I thought, I don't I don't know that you've well, read Joe Piper's John Piper's Piper. Work <laughs> right, right. But one of the uh, many articles you wrote, you wrote from the perspective of character and why character matters. And so we've talked a lot about the consequences. But can you share a bit more about your perspective and angle? Why Why is character? And maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's not. But why why is character so significant now more than ever? Well, let me say that character matters deeply because um, when when people show you who they are, believe them. And right. uh, this should not be shocking to us. I mean, this should not be. This is a consequence of a series of continued character issues. Now, the difficulty when it comes to the election is that um, 
you know, and this is just, let me just, you know, people have different views, but we're just having a conversation here. So mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. evangelicals, particularly me, I'm, you know, deeply committed to the pro-life cause, spoken here at the Chicago March for Life, very engaged in, in pro-life issues. I'm deeply concerned about religious liberty. I'm deeply concerned right. about what the Bible teaches about men and women. I'm, I'm deeply concerned about lots of different issues. Um, and now, and I'm concerned about character and I'm concerned about how we speak about immigrants and refugees. I'm concerned about how, when racist tropes become common in our conversation. So when I'm concerned about all of these things, I have to make a difficult choice in a voting booth. Mm-hmm. And here's where I think followers of Jesus make that choice. And I, and I'm not the person who sits back and says, you know, you, I don't, for example, I don't think Trump voters are Trump. I don't think Biden voters are Biden. People make complex difficult decisions based on how they weight issues and their strategy to see change. But I would say that that we, we we learned. We learned we couldn't trust presidents who in their personal lives, and I can go back if you want, we'll go through president after president, mm-hmm. who in their personal lives were were living, were deceiving their spouses, were mm-hmm. lying to people. That, and what happens is their character became on display in public policy. And I think ultimately that has impacted us right now. It doesn't mean that everybody who made one decision or the other in electoral booth shares that, but we, some people made a, made a, made a run at it, made a, made a bet on it, that the policies would outweigh the personality and, and it's a tough ending to the Trump administration for sure. Yeah, no kidding. We are thrilled to have back on the show for the latest time, but hopefully not the last time. Dr. Ed Stetzer, the man who writes more content more quickly than any human I've ever met in my entire life. But it's it's also what's frustrating is how good it is, to be honest. Like a lot of times people who crank out content that much, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a revamp of something else. I just find your perspective so refreshing and so challenging at times. And what, what I've been kind of dying to ask you about is what do you say to the person who all along would say, I've I've been a Trump supporter. I'm trying to make heads or tails of everything that's sort of happening in the world right now. What, what would you say to that person or that perspective? Well, I think it depends upon, like, in part why. I, I would say that if you, like so many Christians, so many people who love the Lord, really prayed about this and you really were concerned about issues of life, as as I think all of us on the show would share that view, uh, you were concerned about judges, Supreme Court judges, you were concerned, maybe even had views of, you know, there's not a biblical verse that says what the right tax rate is, but maybe you have mm-hmm. opinions on that. Right. And uh, you made what you thought was the best choice that you could make. And maybe you said, man, I'm really concerned about some of the, you know, the character issues, the, the words he said, things. and you should be. I mean, I, I think every follower of Jesus needs to say there are things that this president have said uh, that just weren't appropriate for, uh, you know, for us as believers even to be connected to. So if you're that person, I, I think there's, you know, you, you say, well, this really turned out uh, what a difficult ending this is. And I think even when we see people like, you know, Betsy DeVos, you know, well-known evangelical Christian stepping down and others. Um, I would say that then on the other hand, if you were all in, if every time you heard him speak um, about immigrants in this way or or speak about, you know, telling us to, you know, rough him up, you know, at a, mm-hmm. at a rally. And, and, and I would say that the, that might take a little more soul searching to ask what in it is it in me that attracted me uh, to that? But, but, but I would say, and I think this is really key. I think right now everyone's going to be dunking on people who were uh, supporters um, of the of the president, and and I I, w- I would say I don't think that's helpful either. I I think ultimately people vote based on their conscience and on their base, best understanding. And here's what I would say: if we didn't continue to have two candidates that were so hard for people of faith to support, it might put us 
in a little better situation. So what mm-hmm. I would say, and I guess I, you know, I'm not the conscience of people. You know, I'm I I voted uh, this year because I cared about um, life. I voted this year because I care about I- immigrants and refugees. I voted this year because I care about religious liberty. I voted this year because I, I care about so- racial justice and racial injustice. And I voted the best way I knew how. And the Christian mm-hmm. doesn't fit perfectly in any one political party. So I right. guess that would be my, my posture is that I can totally get how lots of people would love Jesus and come to different conclusions because they weighed some of those issues uh, differently. I did, I did a message about that at, at Wheaton Bible church and uh, they had had me come and was able to share. And, and what I, what I said just so, so carefully is, is that we all need to care about these issues. We need to care. I mean, it's a biblical issue. Life is. And, and so is how we speak of the immigrant and the stranger and, and and so is religious liberty and so and and you know and so is character and if it was perfectly clear we wouldn't have these discussions or debate i think this is where followers of jesus listeners to the radio show more importantly i know your radio show is super important but people who go to churches <laughs> go to churches where people might have come to a different decision king jesus ultimately has our ultimate loyalty hold these political differences a little more loosely Hold the Jesus a little more firmly and give people grace to disagree in some of these ways. And Ed, in the article we referenced earlier, Christianity Today, people can find it at our Facebook page. You talk about there's an American reckoning, but you also talk about an evangelical reckoning. And you use that word a little bit earlier. Could you kind of describe, flesh that out a little bit as to what that reckoning is in your mind? And then I'd love to know, do you, are you hopeful that we'll kind of come out of the other end, a stronger church, that evangelicalism will kind of learn and kind of grow from this. Yeah. So I'm actually have another article that'll be forthcoming in USA Today that is actually called an evangelical reckoning. And hmm. so, um, so I've got that article right here open in front of me. So, but I, I won't share too much of it because probably you don't want too much of it. But <laughs> I, I think that the question that we need to ask is, is um, there are um, for many uh, evangelical leaders and others who just got all in and said, you know, let's not worry about the character issues and let's, you know, let's not worry about the the, 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 the sometimes the horrific things that have been said and more. And I, I think we need to ask the question, what do we do now? Why were so many people? Because if you remember, I mean, during the, the Clinton administration, we were pretty clear character matters. I mean, I yeah. remember being told that that Bill Clinton and I and I agree that Bill Clinton's character disqualified him to be the president of the United States. And then something shifted. There was actually a, a poll that talked about evangelicals before the 2016 election were the highest group to think that the private character of public officials is super important. And then as they moved into 2016, they actually became the group that believed that at the lowest level. Wow. And what changed our mind? And I think ultimately there needs to be an evangelical reckoning. Why did character become something that became less important to us? Now, part of that is because uh, as an evangelical, there were just things, I don't know how politically you get on the radio station, so forgive me, <laughs> but there are just things that uh, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden um, just believed, and particularly Joe Biden, not the Joe Biden we knew 20 years ago, but even in winning the primary, you know, removing his his endorsement of the Hyde Amendment, which, you know, about government funding of abortion, which just so everyone knows, Henry Hyde was the congressman from this area. Right. And and so so, you know, all of a sudden we got hard choices because um, you know, there, 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 there are positions that are very contrary to what we believe. And I'm again, let me say again, I'm actually, okay, you know, people, not that people need my permission, I, but I understand <laughs> people coming to different conclusions. Here's what I don't understand. Here's what I think is wrong. If you changed your view of the importance of morality so that you could justify your vote, 
Mm-hmm. I think you need to ask the question, why was that view so easily held and so easily loosed? I, I, I really do appreciate people who said, you know, I get that I see the character flaws. I see the problem. I'm not going to pretend it's not there, but yeah. my other choice is so bad. This is the choice I'm going to make. Yeah. I don't get people who said, no, character doesn't matter. We're not electing a pastor. We're not electing a pastor, but we see what happens when we elect a person who doesn't have character. That's right. The other thing that you've been writing a lot about, and I've really appreciated, is COVID and the pandemic and the effects and how the church is responding and what the future looks like. And you wrote another article for CT yesterday. Uh, the headline is just going to be my question. How is the COVID-19 dance going so far from where you sit? Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, you know, yesterday was the highest day of deaths. It's yes, it's right. still very, very serious. You know, we worked with Governor Pritzker. Um, Governor Pritzker moved our um, actually organized. Uh, I don't think it's a secret. I, I think we, we I did an open letter and then we organized mm-hmm. a meeting with the governor and uh, had representatives of uh, thousands of churches, heads of the denominations of all the largest denominations, evangelical denominations, and um, and uh, actually were pleased with some of his response, which was um, one of the things they did is they moved it from being mandates to guidelines. So now churches are functioning under guidelines, unlike California, which is, or, and Chicago's different, the city of Chicago's different, but that's a mayoral issue. Um, so what I would say is uh, we have um, a right and a responsibility right now as Christians is mm. we have the right to gather. The First Amendment hasn't been canceled because of COVID-19. But right now, this is a really serious time. And the reason we haven't heard about big outbreaks in churches, few exceptions, the reason we haven't heard about big outbreaks in churches is because most churches are taking it seriously and taking appropriate cautions and mitigations. And so what I would say is uh, we're not through it. The, the, the more challenging days could be ahead of us. I'll actually be interviewing um, Francis Collins. Francis Collins is uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci. Everyone would probably know that's Dr. Fauci's boss, mm-hmm. Francis Collins. He's an evangelical Christian, goes to a Presbyterian church. Um, and I'm going to kind of ask him and I'll, I'll send you the link when it's out too. And, yes. but I'm going to ask him some questions about, um, you know, what do you think Christians should be doing right now? And I would say we're th- thankful that the, the Lord has given us wisdom and, and in his goodness, science that enable us to uh, work towards the creation of this vaccine, uh, vaccines, I should say. And I, that's part of what I'll be talking about with Francis Collins. Um, and the end result is, I think, if we can be wise uh, and be careful and really look out for, I mean, you know, you guys, young, healthy, lots of listeners, young, healthy. Um, but we're looking out for our older and our folks with comorbidity, you know, other factors. Uh, mm-hmm. I think ultimately the light is at the end of the tunnel. When I asked, I was with Dr. Burks who, uh, you know, you've seen on television, mm-hmm. Deborah Burks. She's also a, an evangelical Christian, by the way, graduated Houghton College, goes to a, an eco church, evangelical covenant order of Presbyterians. Um, and what they said is, um, you know, I said, where are we going to be in Easter? So Easter's still going to be some challenges, but you'll be having vacation Bible school by summer. And so mm-hmm. if we can get through that, I think um, the, the question is, how many people will we lose between now and that <laughs> case? And I think that'll largely be the kind of choice of how we wisely act in the next few months. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ed, we're so grateful that you've joined us. Truly are a friend of the show. Uh, where can people find you uh, online, blog, Twitter, Facebook? Where can people find all the stuff that you Yeah, it's there? all kind of my name. It's Ed Stetzer, S-T-E-T-Z-E-R-Z-E-R for you Canadians. You go to uh, edstetzer.com. It's, uh, so I'm trying to, you know, we, we got listeners across the border. That's right. Um, 
So, uh, so edstetzer.com is the website, but you know, all the Twitter is, is just Ed Stetzer. So anywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I think I'm even on Pinterest. I, I'm not sure to be fair. <laughs> Someone did that for me. Well, I'm going to pull up the Ed Stetzer Pinterest board right now. My guess is it's all black is the yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. But, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually thinking of changing style for 2021. So we'll see. I can't wait. Well, you, you're a great winsome guest, man. And we're so grateful for you taking the time. Thanks for joining us today. Good to see you guys. Thanks. Likewise, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Oh, I almost started singing Rebecca Black's Friday. Is that when was the last time you thought about that song, Brian? A long time ago. <laughs> Wasn't that the one that like uh, it just totally went viral and everyone was like, I don't know why this is going viral, but it really did. Yeah, she was. I mean, she was young, though. She was a kid. She might not have even been 16 and her. Mom, if I recall, had like paid a couple grand to some producer to write, record, and shoot this music video. And I guess she's like still doing music though. I think she's like a legitimate singer now. But man, I props to her if that's true because she caught I mean it did it did go viral, but with anything viral, especially if it's going viral for something bad, like the backlash is just brutal. And she was like a kid. So she's she's not only doing music, I think, I think she's like still doing it under that name. Like she didn't choose some stage name or whatever. I'm like, yeah, good for you. She's still going after her dream. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to let a bunch of haters derail me either way. How do we get there? It's Friday. And that's <laughs> what we're talking about. I think Tosh.0 just did a segment on it. Anyway, I want to keep talking a little bit about what happened on the six, because this, it feels like there's a lot of layers to this. And um, I, I don't imagine this will be the last time that we talk about this, but I wanted to kind of keep it out in front because sometimes with the show or with, radio or podcasts or news in general, it can feel like, you know, we hold the tension for about 12 seconds. Then we just move on to the next thing. And I think there's a lot that has happened and is happening that warrants at least some reflection or a response. So I have a few articles here, uh, two from relevant and then one from the uh, Denison forum who we've Jim Denison, Dr. Jim Denison, who's been on the show before. Uh, I'm going to let you choose again, Brian, which of the three would you like to dive into? Oh, let's see. Let's go with Jim Dennison. As you said, he's been on the show uh, from the Dennison Forum. He says, after the Capitol riots, three questions everyone is asking and a biblical path to empowering purpose. And so he goes on to he kind of talks about what was it that happened? Uh, he said, actually, I'd like to write the sermon for you that I would preach this Sunday. I'm doing so after spending all day Thursday in radio interviews with stations around the country. The question I was asked are questions everyone seems to be asking today. He said, I hope my, quote, sermon will help answer them and offer you a path forward uh, to empowering purpose. He says, my text is the familiar statement of the Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses, uh, has lost its taste. Uh, how shall its saltiness be restored? He said, let's see how this metaphor applies uh, to our nation. And so he's going to kind of dig into what's going on to our nation. He talks about the elections and all sorts of stuff. But I want to skip down to where he asked this question, how can I make a difference? Uh, can Christians change our broken culture? And he asks, if so, how? And he says, one, uh, we should repent personally, something you and I talked about today, right? Like always mm -hmm. look in the mirror, uh, repent personally. Uh, to intercede passionately, be people of prayer. Let's be people who are praying. Uh, number three, speak graciously. Uh, part of getting our salt, he says, out of the salt shaker is speaking truth in love. Uh, and four, act redemptively. Uh, he says, I believe that God is calling more Christians in the public service. service. 
uh, and uh, the gospel, he says, is only good news if it gets there in time. And so I found those to be interesting. He's, uh, people are asking, what are we supposed to do now? He says, repent personally, intercede passionately, speak graciously, act redemptively. When he, he calls this his sermon, uh, anything you would add or what do you think about what our friend Jim Dennison had to say there? Yeah, I think it's a good call to action. I, I've seen a number of people post things of similar note. I, I think part of what I find to be interesting about his perspective, one, he keeps the how do I make a difference to the end. So you mentioned there's other headings here, like, you know, why did this happen? And even before that, though, a question that you and I have tackled a number of times. I don't know how well we have, but like, why should I get involved at all? You know, we again have heard often the rhetoric because it's about the gospel. It's just about Jesus. Like, why are we even bothering ourselves with what's happening in D.C. or in other parts of the world? Isn't it just about the gospel? And we've had a number of guests who have, I think, put it much better than we ever could talk about. There are, yeah, there are obviously personal implications of the gospel, but there are also like social and structural implications as well. And for us to only to only focus on one aspect, I think, is to miss like the the broader scope of of what Jesus does, what he accomplishes. And I think Dennison does it in a way that feels very measured, very winsome. Um, Mm -hmm. He he doesn't look like he's all that interested in like mic drops and hot takes. He's not trying to own anybody. You know what I mean? Like there's just a, there's a real purposefulness to, to what he writes. And even if you disagree with his conclusion or his politics or his theology, like I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in leaning in more and more to like rhetoric and writing with this kind of tone. Like, okay, yeah, there's some stuff here that maybe I would pick apart, but like I'm grateful for yeah, voices and leaders like him. Yeah, absolutely. So another article here is from uh, Relevant Magazine. There's my dog. Uh, <laughs> from Relevant Magazine by Tyler Huckabee. Tyler Huckabee is the executive editor uh, of Relevant Magazine. Uh, and and uh, he, it's a really long article and really good, uh, but it's entitled Under God, The Rise of Christian Nationalism. Uh, and he goes, he tries to walk us through our history of America and kind of what you and I've tried to talk a lot about, not just in the last couple of days, but over the two years we've done this about when, when our when our Christianity and our politics get too kind of enmeshed and what what ends up happening. And so, man, you should read all of it. But he talks about then and now. But I want to talk about what he says about the future. He kind okay. of Tyler Huckabee tries to paint a picture going forward and he, and he quotes uh, not to be confusing because his name is Tyler Huckabee, but he's talking about someone by the name of Amanda Tyler of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty launched a group called the Christians Against Christian Nationalism, uh, which mm. condemned it as a persistent threat to both our religious communities and our democracies. It says, as Christians, we are bound to Christ, not by citizenship, uh, but by faith. And at the very end, uh, she says this. Whenever the state gets too cozy with Christianity, Christianity is the one that gets compromised. Mm. Our radical Christian values are not in line with the powers and principalities of this state. Jesus taught us that we are citizens of two kingdoms, an earthly kingdom ruled by our governments and God's kingdom. We have to work out what we render to which kingdom. And man, this is something you and I have talked all, uh, so much about, right? So much uh, but I thought that she really kind of encapsulated that really well. And, and that idea that it's our Christian values that get compromised when they get meld, me, uh, meshed together, that should really be a red flag for us. Well, either way, I'm, I'm grateful for articles like this that are attempting to do the work of pulling back the many, many layers. And I know that, there's, you know, I think it's human nature for 
for all of us to always feel like we are on the right side of history in our opinions or our convictions are the right ones. And it's those people that need to repent or better understand. I realize that's everybody. Everybody's feeling that right now, probably to um, a really intense degree, maybe unlike we've experienced in a while. And, you know, we're dealing with all of this in the midst of a really, really stressful last year anyway. But my hope is, and it has been since the beginning for the show, is that at the very least, we can lower our guard long enough to actually hear the other and their perspectives and where they come from. And obviously, and I think that like articles like this are offering a wonderful call to action. Like, yeah, there's things that need to be called to account. And we also need to hear each other. We need to remember the humanity in each other. And I think mm-hmm. it's as important as ever and more difficult than ever. So at the very least, you can weigh in on Facebook, but maybe Facebook isn't a good forum for some of this. Maybe it means calling up a friend that, you know, thinks differently than you or to I just think we need to have more conversations so if this in any way sparks that we would love to know what you think that's over at the Facebook page at common good talk coming up next though from Karen Newhoff uh, why your words as a leader matter far more than you think that's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life Coming up this hour, why your words as a leader matter. And then we're joined by senior news editor at Christianity Today, Kate Shelnut. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We are so glad and grateful that you are here. Uh, we've talked a lot about really the things that have happened in our country the last two or three days or so. But uh, I wanted to spend this segment taking a slightly different kind of angle on just sort of the headlines and news and what's happening or breaking right now. Carrie Newhoff is certainly somebody who puts out a ton of content. And mm-hmm. as much as I sometimes don't want to admit it, like the headlines seem to almost always grab me. You're like, gosh, darn it. He's got his finger on the pulse. So he, he wrote a blog um, over at his website, Carrie Newhoff, why your words as a leader matter far more than you think. This is something that's come up the last couple of days for you and I a lot, actually, like what people are saying or what people are tweeting and the effects that it has. And I, I thought this was a really well-written perspective. Why your words as a leader, and I would add maybe your words as anybody, uh, matter far more than you think. Do you want to get us into it? Yeah, and Kerry Newhoff, as you said, uh, at kerrynewhoff.com, he puts out all sorts of content. He said, leaders, your words matter more than you think. No matter how many or how few followers you have as a leader, your words matter a lot. Like many of you, I was horrified watching the historic and ugly assault on the U.S. Capitol, he writes. After watching Congress return to the floor and waking up again this morning, he wrote this on January 7th, I was left reflecting on so many things and felt so many emotions. He says, yesterday's events have left me thinking about the power of words and leadership. You and I have watched people get angrier and angrier over the last few years, and I and many others have written about the damaging impact of tribalization, polarization, and the hate that passes for so much of social media, public discourse, and even the comments on social media and on sites like this. It's deeply alarming to me, Carrie writes. It's been devastating to see us devolve to this level as a culture. It horrifies me even more that the church has descended into a lot of the hatred, vitriol, and division that has come to plague our culture, especially in a season like this. The culture needs an alternative to itself, not an echo of itself. In the hours after the assault on the Capitol, I was talking to a much younger friend, 
He's 22. He said, I sensed that he saw the events as less shocking than I did, as almost resigned to them or that we were somehow normal uh, or that they were somehow normal, like some video game that just happened to play out in life. And then I remembered that this is how public and private discourse has been over his lifetime. And it saddened me greatly. I assured him of being three decades older than he was, that this was not the way humans always interact. And it shouldn't be how we interact moving forward, which Mm -hmm. brings me to words, my words, your words, and the power of words we yield as leaders, even for the vast majority of us who are private citizens. And so he's going to get into words. That's a uh, that is a striking story, though, Ian, he tells about the the, the person who was 22, because I think of my own kids, you know, being right. just a little bit younger than that, going, wait a minute, this is probably less surprising to them. Like their whole uh, growing up years has been in this social media driven kind of divisive, vitriolic uh, kind of um, stage, this kind of scene that we are all a part of. And, and so for him to be like, hey, yeah, this 22 year old was like, I'm not really surprised by this. It's really sad and and really eye-opening for me. Well, his next heading here, I think, is actually something I said on the show yesterday. And I might have attributed it to Richard Rohr. I actually don't know where it originally comes from. It might just be one of those phrases. But he says, leaders, your words create worlds. I promise you that some of the most damaging moments in your life happened when someone said something to you. My guess, even this is an Ian Simpkins quick aside. My guess is when you read or hear something like that, you can almost instantly remember Mm -hmm something someone said to you in some cases decades ago because they didn't do anything to you in that moment. They didn't hit you or assault you physically. They just said something that pierced your heart and has stuck with you for years, maybe decades. The fact that it may not be true, i.e. you're stupid or fat or will never amount to anything is irrelevant. It crushed you and it still does. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a lie. I've seen people whose lives have changed direction because someone told them they didn't have what it takes. So they stopped acting like they did for better, for worse words, shape things that come into being that to me. I'm, I'm glad to see a a leader, particularly a Christian leader say it that succinctly, because I do feel like at the core, we all know this to be true, but so often, and like you were saying, Brian, especially when it comes to online, you know, I, I had a friend who years ago said for Christians, Facebook seems to be like Vegas. Like there's this sense that like, Hey, what happens if Facebook stays with Facebook? And you're like, no, 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 no. Like this, this, I don't, this irresponsibility with what we say and to who we say it and how. Um, and that that's maybe the other piece that I, if we had more time, I'd talk about the how. Like a lot of times people are saying right things, but in a really awful way. You can be right in the wrong way. And as Christ followers, I think we're called to do called to do more. And I think when he says here, uh, for better, for worse, words shape things that come into being. I think we're just I think we're seeing that play out in a really, really significant way right now. Yeah. And he goes on to say. Uh, that words aren't neutral, that that words being neutral is is just not a true statement uh, and that the Bible has a lot to say about our words. And I just think this is so important. I do. I, I like how you said, uh, you know, Facebook and social media, it's kind of like Vegas. But also, I think if you asked most, you know, about Jesus believing church going people to just to to kind of say, hey, are words as important as your actions? I think a lot of times people would say no, and and, and that gets us into trouble because, like, ah, it's just mm-hmm. words. I can make this joke or be this sarcastic or just this mean uh, and go, no, no, no. The, the book of James, right, has some very uh, uh, <laughs> impactful things to say about the power of words. Uh, and so I do want to get to this part, though. Kerry uh, Newhoff here near the end. And again, this whole thing is worth reading. He tends to write long posts, and this is one of them. He says, Three practical things you can do about your words. Let me read all three, and then I'll let you choose which one jumps out to you. 
He says, one, ask what your words will do before you speak them. He says two quick things, one that happened a millennia ago and another in the last decade. He talks about the Garden of Eden uh, and 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 just uh, uh, the power of words. He says, fast forward to the last decade when all of a sudden billions of us have access to information and knowledge, yet lack the wisdom to know what to do with it. And so he's talking mm-hmm. about before you speak, if it doesn't help, doesn't heal, doesn't do good, don't speak or post, especially if you're a Christ follower. That's number one. Number two, vent privately, not publicly. That's a tough one. Vent privately, not publicly. And the last one, he says, uh, number three, remember that word issues are heart issues. Remember that word issues are heart issues. And he goes on to say the only way to really fix your words is to fix your heart. Those are three really powerful ones. Ian, do either any of those three jump out to you? You want to talk more about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things that stand out to me. I think it's um, I think it's Luke says something like, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's kind of what he's getting at with the third one. Like, yep. if you have a sick heart, you're gonna speak sick words. I think about James, you know, the half brother Jesus, who just writes this incredibly practical book. He talks about our words and our tongue. What are the, what are the sort of the analogies? He talks about it being like a rudder on a ship, like it's steer, right. it has steering power. Yep. But he also talks about uh, a bit in a horse's mouth. That's right. And That's right. and then what was the third? Oh, about a about a fire, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, mm-hmm. that fire one's always that's always stuck with me too because I've both been at fault and been on the receiving end of a word that just like lit everything on fire. And you're like, well, I can't believe you just said that. I can't, be-. you know what I mean? Like, there's a the fire analogy for some reason. That's right. Like a forest that took hundreds of years to grow could be gone in minutes with a careless spark. And I think words are that same way. I also don't think it's uh, coincidental that Jesus is the Logos, the word, right? When, when we when we look at Genesis, you know, and the world is coming into existence as a response to the word, God's word. Like what greater image can we imagine that the our words matter? And I think part of what, is frustrating to me is that we assume like, well, if I'm not leading an organization, I'm a big platform. I can be willy nilly with my words or, you know, the consequences are, are much smaller. I don't don't think that's true at all. I think we all wield this to some degree. And I think it's, I just think it's really, really important for us to remember that. Is there anything that you would add to that? No, I, I I do love that imagery of the forest fire. Like you said, by the way, the only time I've ever seen you preached, you preached on that passage. Uh, But the the idea that something so small, a spark, a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a huge ship really changes and sets the direction or causes the destruction, I think biblically just reminds us of just how powerful our words are. Uh, They could be destructive. They can also be edifying and build people up. And I think Carrie Newhoff's uh, call here is to be much more intentional. Think much more about the words that you use and the way that you talk to people and the things you say to people. Yeah, well said, man. Well, coming up next, friend of the show, Kate Shelnut. She's the senior news editor at Christianity Today. She's going to join us to talk about some of what's happening in the world today. You're not going to want to miss that. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. And today, today, really, the theme for today's show is friends of the show. I think, Kate, this is your third or fourth time on the show. But friends, please give a warm welcome to our friend Kate Shelnut. Welcome back to the show, friend. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm Kate Shelnut. I'm the senior news editor 
at Christianity Today, and I'm based down in Georgia, where I thought the biggest news of the week would be the <laughs> news of our two Democratic senators flipping seats um, on Tuesday. But as we'll get to in a couple seconds, that that was quickly overruled yeah. by um, some bigger and more tumultuous uh, news for our country. Yeah. And of course, that news you're referring to is what happened Wednesday at the Capitol. Uh, and and in your reporting, I've been following you on Twitter. Uh, you, you said that you talked to Russell Moore, uh, who is somebody I was anxious to hear from as to his reaction. And so I'm just curious, how did that conversation go? What, what kind of things did you hear from Russell Moore as he reflected back upon the events at the Capitol? I was on a call with Russell Moore yesterday where um, with some other religion reporters and he talked about kind of the contrast of the National Mall being a place where he's marched um, for the March for Life, for other Christian rallies, and that this looked really different than that um, as we saw it unfold on the news. And having never been threatened for his life, we saw that this ended up being a fatal event um, at the Capitol where uh, both a participant and some law enforcement were killed. So it just really shakes, I think, for a lot of people who do work in political engagement and, and political action like he does. Um, the other thing he talked about was, while he didn't personally say that that he regretted not speaking out more, he has been a known critic of, of Trump's, I would say, especially around his election. Um, and then again, more recently, um, he talked about this being not a question of what went wrong five years ago, but what has gone wrong maybe in the past 20 or 25 years, really looking back at the historical um, failures, both of the church and the country and and just how we can um, reckon with like what we've come to now and um, the discord um, that we saw there. So those were some of the things that that he brought up. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned 20 or 25 years in the past. I, I've been kind of dying to ask you, you're, you're sort of steeped in this world and these conversations, what do you think are going to be the long-term effects of what we're seeing going forward 20, 25 years looking ahead? I think it's a good question to put it in long-term. Um, both he and other Christian leaders who I've talked to have said, just like, um, just like this wasn't a quick thing to happen, it, there won't be a quick fix to it either. Hmm. Um, so really talking about, having leaders be prepared to not just have one conversation or one session or one sermon and expect like, okay, now I addressed it, but to make this be a change in how we disciple as a church and how we lead as ministries and organizations, um, even for journalism, I think it has some effects for me as a reporter in a Christian outlet. Um, you know, what, what are we going to be doing to tell the full story and keep people informed and to really prioritize the truth um, which seems to be one thing that's up for grabs now, even as we see kind of political um, officials disagreeing on what is true um, in the world. So I think I think looking long term uh, is the, the best first step, um, but also saying that a lot of this is overdue and not waiting to act, um, but acting really soon to respond. I think people are looking for quick action from leaders um, and for them to not be. Um, ignoring what's happening just because of how unsettling it feels, yeah. I think, for all of us. Yeah, I hadn't planned to ask you this, but you you just kind of mentioned the idea of people not even trusting what's true. What's it been like over the last 
two, four, six years to be a reporter with the whole rise of fake news and people, you guys kind of getting a lot of like uh, anger from people. What's it even been like uh, to be a reporter over these last, say, four years or so? Hmm. So usually as a reporter, you know, you don't try to weigh in on the issues or take sides. But when people are holding signs that say, murder the media uh, as we're scrawled out, even just in the events this week. And of course, there have been other things, right, to sow discord and to um, to cause people to disbelieve what's reported. I, I can't not disagree with that, you know, <laughs> that, um, that that's a thing that I, I actually stand for uh, the media. And a lot of these people, even in mainstream outlets, are my friends and people who I trust um, mm-hmm. and who I've worked with. Um, and so for us and for some of my colleagues, we even have people in our own families who would would disparage the media. And then you have to say, but wait, I'm the media. You know, do you not believe <laughs> right. me? So it, it, it can get personal, too, um, when those slogans get batted around like a position you can take when, yeah, there are people behind the news um, and they're working hard and, and doing it for us as a calling. Like we we believe in, in putting the truth out there uh, for the sake of the church. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, so some ways you kind of got to be rooted in what what you do, but it is disheartening. One, one of the things I appreciate about your Christianity Today article was highlighting what various different Christian leaders around the country are saying. And as as I read it, I thought, man, words are really important. They like hold a lot of power and they're also really scrutinized. Like it's been interesting to watch certain people say things. And then in the comment section, people, yeah, but you didn't say that you said this word instead of that word, or you like refrained from saying this, or this was too aggressive, or that was too, you went too far. Like what, what role or what power do you think words have right now as a reporter, as someone who I know cares deeply about them, as you kind of watch social media and people with platforms and responsibilities, some are being very careful, some are maybe being too careful. What do you think is the the role of words going forward? I think words matter has been a big mantra this week, especially in regards to the president himself. A lot of people who are linking right. uh, the violence in the Capitol to the president have done so on the basis of the rhetoric that he's used over time, as well as the words that he used earlier in that day. So in that same spirit, uh, the way people react, I noted in the article that some people had done it in a way to a kind of both sidesism way, mm-hmm. in a way to say, mm-hmm. okay, I this and we also condemn Antifa and Black Lives Matter, um, in which case you kind of equivocate both of them to say, oh, violent storming the Capitol is the same as um, the protests that we saw over the summer when really some of the roots and even some of the approaches were very, very different. Um, and then the other, the other thing about words is I think that there's a, a call for people to repent and not just make observations or commentary. There's a call for uh, people to turn and do a little more soul searching. If you're a leader, um, yeah, should you have done more? Do you have a role in your own complicity here? Um, and so so people are analyzing it the way that you would almost analyze a public apology, especially for white evangelical leaders yeah. um, and people with platforms to say, gosh, have you fed into this at, in any way or have you done enough um, to condemn it or actively work against it? And it being um, a sense of white nationalism, conspiracy theories, untruths, racism, all of those things I think are conflated and involved in the the kinds of actions and the groups that we saw um, on the news a yeah. couple days ago. 
Yeah. And Kate, with like the last minute we have, you did send along a note about the National Association of Evangelicals calling for prayer and fasting this weekend. Could you give us some more details? Because that seems like a really healthy thing for them to be doing right now. Sure. So the National Association of Evangelicals, with the support of the World Evangelical um, Alliance, in support with that international group, are, are calling on people to pray and fast, are acknowledging the role of, of Christian nationalism in this. And I think for all people who say, who have the instinct to say, oh, why are you praying if shouldn't you be doing something? Um, that, that as evangelicals, as Christians, we believe that like all good action is preceded by prayer hmm. and that you know prayer isn't just the sake of thoughts and prayers, but it really is how we orient our hearts and minds to actually doing hard work, how we allow uh, God to work through us. So I think that it's pretty notable that they're calling on people to do this. And um, it's a sign of, I'm sure, more things to come from uh, evangelicals in the next couple weeks, months, and like I said, probably years. Mm-hmm. Kate, you're always such a great guest. Thank you for, for making the time. Real quickly, where can people go to learn more about you or see some of your writing? At Kate Shelnut with two L's and two T's on Twitter, and then ChristianityToday.com slash news. Um, and then on our homepage, we've got a lot of good commentary on this too. Uh, there's a Tish Harrison Warren piece I'll plug mm-hmm. um, that's really worth re- reading. I think it's titled, We Worship... Um, the Magi, not Naga, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It has to do with Epiphany and uh, what happened on Epiphany and kind of the irony there. So I would recommend reading that too. That's great. Our guest today has been Kate Shelna. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thanks. It's our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hey, friends, it's Friday. My name's Ian. What's yours? Uh, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Ian and Momentary lapse of judgment there. My apologies. But Brian Fromm is here (laughs) to steady the ship. Oh, that reminds me. Speaking of Brian and ships, this isn't going to make any sense. Do you want me to do uh, holidays? I do. I didn't know where you were going with that. But yes, I do want the holidays. That doesn't really. It's not a not a not a direct link. But either way, National Argyle Day. Are you an Argyle fan? No, I went through a stage. I was in high school or college of wearing Argyle socks, but no, no. That Still, was I love it's my stage. It's my favorite thing about the dynamics of this show. I could ask a ridiculous question like, hey, are you an Argyle guy? And you'll go, hmm. <laughs> I got to think it out. <laughs> you know, yeah, there was a, a phase. You're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> there was. There was. It's, uh, it's, oh, same here, by the way. National Bubble Bath Day. Not a fan of baths. I'm not going to lie. Me neither. Um, don't even need just, to think about that. You're just swimming in your own filth. There's no. That's right. There, how is that relaxing? National English Toffee Day. I'm in. Love I'm into it. English Toffee. Yes. National Joy Germ Day. So happy Joy Germ to you. Bad. Do you remember, you, do you remember Joy Germ? No. <laughs> Which makes it was like a, nah, <laughs> it was like a whole. Yeah. We shouldn't be <laughs> any germ holidays should be stricken from the record for a while. This is. Yes. But I think the, I think the campaign was something like oh. Spread joy like a germ or something like that, if I recall correctly. It was like that a, doesn't it was like hold a, up well. No, yeah, that did not age well. And then last but not least, National Winter Skin Relief Day. So real, real breaking news here at the Common Good today. Um, Tied into Bubble Bath Day. Those two together seem to that's That's true, depending on, right, get some Epsom salts. All right, so a segment that we haven't, man, we haven't done in a minute, and I feel like we really, really needed this week, is uh, it's time for some good news. And typically, most of these stories come from the Good News Network. If you've never visited goodnewsnetwork.org, I highly recommend it. But uh, I got to be honest, over at Christian Headlines, they had a positive section, and there are a couple that kind of 
kind of really? caught my attention. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start. Well, actually, no, dealer's choice. You get to you get to decide which one we're going to go after first. I, I'm going to start right there. At, that's okay. what Jesus would do. Man returns returns forty three thousand dollars he found hidden in an old couch. He found a Bitcoin apparently. <laughs> 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 One year after returning $43,000 in cash from a secondhand couch he had recently bought, a Michigan man, America's High Five, says Hey-o. he would do it all over again simply because it's what Jesus would have done. Howard Kirby of Ovid, Michigan, bought a $70 used couch one year ago from Habitat for Humanity, Habitat for Humanity Restore. Uh, And he and his family soon became suspicious that something was amiss with an unusually hard uh, cushion. His daughter-in-law opened the cushion and found loads of cash, $43,170 worth. He said, the Holy Spirit came over me and said, no, that's really not yours. And they returned the money. Ian, would you return that money? (laughs) I mean, you're kind of setting me up here. I would. Yeah, if you... yeah, it would like plague my conscience. Well, I, sh- I guess I should say it's the right it's the right moral thing to do, Brian. Also, it would crush my conscience into a pulp. Like it would if I kept it. Yeah, I just wouldn't. I would I would not feel good. But would it. Habitat for Humanity have a record of who delivered that couch in the first place? Are, I don't know. We should get someone get someone from their offices on the horn. Let's figure it out. Uh, all right. In Tom Selleck news, which is something yes. I've always wanted to say on the show, Tom Selleck gives waitress a two thousand dollar and twenty dollars. How do I say that? A $2,020 tip. That's what I want to say. There's apparently a 2020 tip challenge, and there's a hashtag and all sorts of things. And, I mean, that's kind of the long and short of it. He gave a waitress a uh, a more than $2,000 tip, and apparently a bunch of people are doing this. And I think that's crazy. Yeah, let's bring more of that into the world. I'm I'm for that. Yep. Follow the lead of Tom Selleck. That's what I always say. Uh, (laughs) No, you do not. (laughs) <laughs> the Bless Foundation raises $1 million to end human trafficking and feed the hungry. Uh, a virtual concert held by the Bless Foundation raised a $1 million for five different Christian organizations whose goals range from housing orphans to ending human trafficking and feeding the hungry. The concert featured Shane and Shane, the African Children's Choir, and Drew Womack. Additionally, Tim Tebow held a live interview. The concert was originally scheduled to take place in Austin, Texas, but lockdown restrictions forced it to go virtual. Uh, and so that's enough there. But they raised uh, upwards of a million dollars to go to these great organizations. Again, it's just so good to see, uh, even in the midst of a pandemic and craziness, and I'm sure every organization's budget are hurting right now, to see people just doing wonderfully generous yeah. things like that, I think, is really encouraging. Yeah, we have a guy on staff named Eric Bramlett, who's actually been on the show before, creative right. arts director. And uh he, I, I can't not make this joke now because he does every time they're mentioned. When you talk about Shane and Shane, he goes, "Oh man, I love Shane. Not a big fan of Shane, though." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. He'll he'll riff on that really for as long as you let him, and it's one of my favorite things in life. Um, all right, so now we're transitioning over to Good News Network, and this headline there actually is a bit of heartbreak here too, but it says charity staff at St. Vincent de Paul organizes a funeral for 82 year old who died alone on city streets. I've um unfortunately been to funerals like this but it it is really there's yeah there's something about well let me just read a little bit 82 year old arpad kiss might not have known he was dying when he made his way into a darwin st vincent de paul charity shop but he knew he was in trouble after asking the staff to call an ambulance for him kiss collapsed volunteers brought him outside and stayed with him some who knew cpr tried to revive the elderly man to no avail that left a huge impression for our volunteers and me to hear that story and know that he came to Vinny's because he knew we would help Though Kiss had been a stranger, 
uh, Gurr, who made the earlier comment, felt a connection she couldn't ignore, tasking herself to find out more about the man she'd met so briefly. She sought information from the hospital where he'd been taken. And then the story goes on that uh, they go on collectively and not just one person. This is It's really like a, like a whole team effort um, to, to actually give a, a proper ceremony and honoring. And I just think that's some of the best in humanity, man. I love, I love stories like that. Absolutely. And this next one, speaking of uh, heartwarming and humanity, girl donates all her birthday money to a homeless man who returned her grandma's wallet. Come on. Uh, it says in Jewish tradition, a mitzvah is a good deed that's performed with a good heart simply because it's the right thing to do. And that's just how Evelyn Topper described the kind act of a homeless stranger who'd gone out of his way to return her lost wallet. Topper likely dropped the wallet when she and her granddaughter were leaving a local coffee shop in California that they just patronized. But Topper didn't realize it was missing until she got home. With her credit, debit, and medical cards gone, she was understandably upset. The next day, however, Topper got a call that put all of her worries to rest. Sean Curry had found the wallet in a dumpster behind the coffee shop. Except for the cash, its contents were intact. Even though he'd been homeless for five years, rather than take advantage, Curry reached out to make make arrangements to return Topper's property. And it goes on to say that Michaela... Uh, the girl, the the granddaughter, uh, it says, while a true mitzvah is performed without expectation of recognition or reward, sometimes the powers that be with the help of a determined young girl take matters into their own hands. This girl had already planned a socially distant drive by party for her upcoming 12th, 12th birthday. Rather than present, she decided to ask for donations to be donated to the charity in her name. She hadn't decided the charity. And so what do you think she did with it? She donated it to that homeless man who had returned the wallet. That is, that's heartwarming. That's good news. That's a heartwarming that's a story. story, man. Yeah, this last one is really kind of a two-parter. So rather than give you the headline, which sort of, you know, unveils the, the big aha, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it if that's okay. Yeah. Says, if we're lucky, most of us remember that one special person from our school days who made us feel like we truly mattered. The English teacher who lifted up every child's voice to be heard and acknowledged. The math teacher who made sure no student making a real effort failed on his watch. The coach who uh, meted out compassion as well as disciplined the principal who established a food pantry to help alleviate her most vulnerable students' food insecurities. Indianapolis preschool director Renee Dixon is a shining example of this breed of exemplary educators. In the months leading up to Christmas, Dixon took it upon herself to make sure that all 50 children who attended Lynnhurst Baptist Church preschool would be assured a visit from Santa. To make it happen, Dixon took on a weekend job, logging in hour upon hour, driving Uber and Lyft passengers to their various destinations. It's not the first time she's done it either, but this year she also made sure she was maintaining proper COVID-19 protocol the entire time. Dixon's motivation was simple. Having grown up as a child of a single parent, low-income family, she knew firsthand what it felt like to go without. With many already struggling, she knew that 2020's pandemic meant many parents would be paying bills rather than purchasing presents. So many of our families don't have money to get Christmas presents this year. Some parents have lost their jobs. Others have had their wages cut back, Dixon told the Washington Post. Eva Chung, who works with Dixon's husband, volunteered time and money to help Dixon shop. The two took Target by storm. We went down the aisles throwing gifts in the cart. It was pure joy, she said. You read about people like Renee, but... When you're finally able to connect with somebody like that and help fulfill their vision, it's an amazing feeling. All told, Dixon not only raised enough money to gift her students with presents, and had enough left over to get something for their siblings and Christmas bonuses for her staff as well. I'm out of time, but what uh, what I really want to get to here, though, is that um, in response, the community then bought this woman a car. How mm. 
good a story is that? That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. I wish I had more time to get into the details because it's like a, just a wonderfully heartwarming story. I highly encourage you to head on over to the Facebook page. Read all of them. With the kind of year we're already having and just had, uh, this is worth carving out some time and, right. uh, and engaging with it. Well, coming up next, though, Brian, some difficult news, some heavy news. Our hearts are a bit weighty today. Our our own PJ, producer John, is moving on to higher enterprises, but I want to spend a, a segment here just kind of hearing from him and some of his heart and what it's been like. Maybe we'll, we'll ask him that one. What it's been like working with <laughs> us here on The Common Good. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, not only for the last time today, but also, sadly, tragically, the last time with our very own PJ. Some of you were like, wait, I thought his name was John. That's a nickname that no one else uses but us. Producer John, I don't even know that he enjoys that nickname. But here's the thing, though. For this segment, we've decided to let him go ahead and fire up that microphone, and we're going to have a conversation with our dear friend and producer, John. John, welcome back to the Common Good. Oh, uh, long-time caller, first-time listener. <laughs> Wait a minute, we, we can take calls now? I didn't even know that was... <laughs> that is that is news to me. I didn't My say goodness. I took calls. I, we received calls. I didn't say I took them. <laughs> yeah. It's been ringing off the hook for two years. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. lots of complaints and like, oh, man, yeah. well, sorry, the line's not working. I, I, ran, out of number. I ran out of excuses. So, yeah. Well, well John, I, I want to, in some ways, treat you like a real guest here and what we typically do is let the guest first just introduce themselves however they see fit and uh, i'm giving you carte blanche man you could take the rest of the segment if you want but oh you're gonna regret that pj yeah i'm already very concerned (laughs) i'm sweating i'm sweating through my cardigan well how would you (laughs) first and foremost i'm a taurus sure and no 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 for sure i uh i came to the Salem Media Chicago. It's an entity of two stations. So I started way back uh, yonder in 2018. Um, yonder. And it was just kind of way back yonder. It was just a you know, part-time producer on the weekends and whenever they needed me. And I think their initial uh, plan was to use me uh, for video and multimedia because that was kind of where my background was. Radio hmm. just is where I got my foot in the door for broadcasting in general. I, I interned at a station in Huntley, for six years and Eric Thomas, who's the operations director of the station that we're at also ran Huntley. And that's how I knew him. So after Hmm. I graduated from Western, he said, there's an opening you need to apply and I'll give you an interview. So I'm like done. I need money. I don't want to go back to famous footwear. Let's 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 give me some radio jobs. Um, I'm not getting a sponsorship from them. That's for sure. (laughs) Nor do I, nor do we want one. So, um, Don't get me yourself, man. Don't get me started about famous footwear. No, um, that really grinds my gears. That really grinds my gears, man. Uh, so yeah, I started there, and you guys started. I think six months after I got to to there, and I, I met you guys. Mm-hmm. I met you guys at a at one of those awesome office dinners or lunches. Oh right? yeah, right. Uh, I'll, they, we always got that Italian food, and and I think you guys 
prayed over the meal and I, I got- oh no 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 not you guys they always asked Ian to pray <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> that's not true is that true I think it's true <laughs> You were yes, thrilled about it. You're like, oh, my t- <laughs> my time to shine. All right. No. I just booed him. I'm like, boo. <laughs> Don't worry. I porky pigged it anyway. So. Amen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And I got a call later. I think later in 2019. It was like, it had to be around May. Maybe. Yeah. It was actually, no, no. I know exactly what day it was. It was my birthday. <laughs> That we oh, I started with got you guys. Your gift. Yeah, I'm like, I got a full time job on my birthday, and that wow. was awesome. So, thanks. I'm started so working with you guys, and I think right off the bat, I I knew you guys had something good because you know there's there's there are some hosts, and I won't name them. There's just some radio hosts who who just don't have good balanced conversation. They have a a one sided dialogue, and they don't listen. Or they don't speak to listen; they just speak to be heard. And you guys have brought on so many amazing and neutral guests that mm. that you wouldn't think of having. You give voices to, to to people who are just starting up in businesses. I actually, I'll give you a little inside baseball to my job. Part of my job is giving a, a, a PI report, which is just a programming interface or um, inventory. They call it to guests we've had in the last quarter and I, I, we have to fill certain categories and mm. you think, you know, it's a religious programming. We'd be pretty one-sided, but we're not. We had people who are firing up small businesses. We had people fighting for um, uh, racial reconciliation. We've had people mm. for mission, people for the church. It's all over the place. And you guys are giving these people a platform. And I, I was the gatekeeper to that. And that was, that was a real blessing over these last uh, couple of years. Well, thanks for saying well, as that. As you said, we, yeah, that yeah. means a lot. But I, I want to talk now because you said, you know, I'm just kidding. Sometimes we listen, we <laughs> listen to up. talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. Uh, something that is we've shared with our audience, but uh, you, uh, while we've been working together, you started being the or, one of the organists for the Cubs, yeah. which is still one of the most fascinating. I can't tell you how many people I've said. Do you know what my producer does? <laughs> <laughs> my my kids are more are more uh, are more impressed by you than they are impressed of their father. So. Uh, <laughs> What, uh, you know, thumbnail sketch. What is that like? What is it like? And I know there were no fans this year. Yeah, but that, what is it like to be behind the famous key, uh, organ at Wrigley Field? That, I mean, it is the weirdest and coolest job I've ever had. Um, <laughs> I, I, I that, again, that came up in such a a random and unprovoked way. I I, I produce podcasts for a, a guy who has a, a an organization, and I'm not keeping track of time. Are you guys doing that? I I haven't even. Oh yeah, I got it. I got you. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> I ramble. I talk in circles. If there's anything you need to know about me, but I uh, I started producing podcasts for a guy out of Lake in the Hills who has this huge, uh, like, fan basement. Like it's a man cave. He started doing <laughs> these events, these charity events out of it, and. Uh, in his basement, he has a former Wrigley organ, and one thing led to another. Someone caught me playing it on video, posted it, and put my hat in the ring without me even knowing. So wow. beginning of last year, just started this whole slew of you know, phone calls and uh, auditions and, and, and all this stuff. And then right around when the lockdown happened, they offered it to me. Mm-hmm. And I just think... You know, when, when, when baseball started up in June and I stepped in that booth, like it still... It just was surreal because that I, I'm a massive Cubs fan. Is anything you know about me? 
I'm a right. massive Cubs fan, and that was unbelievable to me. But I thought it was ironic, like the one year that no one's allowed in the ballpark, I saw the most Cubs games I've ever seen in a single season. Hmm. But like, I counted that as a blessing because I got to I got to bring people joy. I got to engage with a lot of people who weren't there but wanted to be, and they're like you, right. like they kept telling me like you're bringing life to, you know, a an otherwise dark season, and it's it was awesome. Well, I'll say this, man, knowing that you had a much, much cooler other job. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, I've always really appreciated like the passion and the heart that you brought to this one. And I'm, oh. I'm assuming people can guess this, but there's like a lot of time in between segments. There's a lot of life lived there. And for us, yeah. thankfully it's been filled with a lot of, a lot of joy, a lot, of, a lot of jokes, a lot of stuff that is not fit for radio, but also, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that you're a really big part of that, though. And I think when people assess like a a, a joy or a, or a warmth or a, a humor to the show, uh, you've been consistently a really, really big factor of that, not only for our guests and our audience, but for Brian and I. And, and I, for one, have just been really, really grateful for not just the work that you do, but how you do it, because mm. I think that that's. That's a standard of excellence that often gets overlooked. And I and I really, really appreciated that. I know that oh. we're, we're almost out of time. Mm, um, yep. But I, I want to do two things. I want to give Brian a chance to say something to you. And then, John, I'd love to give you just an opportunity as we wrap to kind of say whatever you like to the common mm-hmm. good audience. So, Brian, why don't yeah, you go John, Yeah, absolutely. John, I would just echo what Ian said. You, you are an important part of this program, and it's fun. Uh, I don't text two people, maybe not even my wife, more than the text string that I have with Ian and John. <laughs> so, <laughs> And it often leaves me laughing and uh that kind of thing. So, John, you've done a great job, man. And you're not going anywhere. You know, we're still going to see you. But, oh, sure. Uh, we, we loved having you on the show. And uh, please keep listening. Call in, you know, whenever you want. But uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, John, uh, we, we love you. We're, we're glad that you were part of the show. You'll always be an important part of the show, however long it goes. Oh, yeah. thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. And uh, uh, I mean, moment. if I, yeah, any, I mean, moment. if I had to say anything, like, people just keep listening. Uh, these these conversations are so vital uh, they, they whether you know we bring humor into it or in all seriousness like this week because there's a lot there's a lot going on but mm. we're bringing in people who are starting and finishing and continuing these important conversations and if there's two guys that have like the inside scoop on church operations because they're both pastors and just being all around good family guys being great uh members of community and mission uh there's no better two to continue conversations so just keep keep listening keep joining in online and uh yeah just be encouraged that's that's Thanks, that, that's what i had to say of course there might be a couple better too than us. There might, I mean, I, 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 I could, but we'll I, take it. I can think I, of a few. Yeah, no bias, no bias here. Yeah. Of course. Well, we mean it from the bottom of our hearts, man. We love you, and we're so grateful for you, and we're excited for this next season of yours. And I don't even really know how we're supposed to end. If there's like some radio jargon, I think with that, a tip of the hat to PJ, producer John, and we conclude this week of the Common Good with Brian. John and Ian on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs>